politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight for what's right and to fight for what actually matters to our lives. It's a tall order, but we are here because you are with me. We are the greatest town hall in America, not just for news and views, but for actual strategies on political outcomes that affect our life. Daniel Horowitz back here for a busy week, long week. It is Friday, March 17th, again, memorializing the rise of the Fourth Reich three years ago this time. And folks, we covered yesterday the death, the destruction, and today we're going to focus on the Joseph Mengele aspect. The fact that we are under the gun, we never thought we would be dealing with this, how you have an FDA and a federal government and a DOD that has empowered Pfizer and other pharmaceutical companies to work with corporate America, big tech media, to purchase products with taxpayer dollars that will kill us, indemnify it from liability. And they could do it in broad daylight, fabricate clinical trials, and there's nothing we can do. You see, when you have regulatory capture, you box out the ability of anyone else to take that place you know, to oversee safety of drugs. So you're not going to embark on a private sector safety net because you can't do it anyway. You don't have the authority. So we relied on the FDA. Now, we thought over the years, most often they were too strong in their regulations, and they still are if it's not a spirit-of-the-age agenda item. But who would have thought that you would see the FDA label on something and it's literally a toxic poison? But this is what's happening. And they could go on and on and use warp speed. They now approved Paxlovid, or they voted to approve it, and baby shots and everything else. So we're going to talk with Brooke Jackson, who worked at that as a clinical trial coordinator on two of the Pfizer sites and the latest on her lawsuit that is really the most important lawsuit to get discovery on what they did and to put an end to this once and for all. So she'll be coming on a little bit later. want to cover a couple things in the pipeline to sew up the week before we go on. First, um, you know, look, we're giving money to Pfizer. We're giving money to everything. Stop giving money to T-Mobile, Verizon, or AT&T. We all need mobile devices. If you can do without it, God bless you, but most of us can't. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider that offers dependable nationwide coverage um, on all three major net- networks. So, so they offer coverage guarantee you could transfer under their auspices. You won't even notice it. The only difference is rather than funding their values, you're funding um, free speech, sanctity of life, marriage, um, Second Amendment. They actually give towards legal defense funds. Uh, fighting for our causes, all of this gives you the knowledge that your money is not supporting yet another venture that is uh, paying for the rope to hang ourselves. And likewise, if you call 878-PATRIOT, you'll get an English-speaking, 100% U.S.-based customer service team to make the switch. 20 minutes, you're done. Or you could go to patriotmobile.com slash CR to get free activation with offer code CR again. Patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 978-878-PATRIOT. 
We need to stand together and support companies that share our values. So folks, you know, C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest thinkers. He once said, we tend to direct the fashionable outcry of each generation against those vices of which it is least in danger and fix its approval on the virtue nearest to that vice, which we are trying to make endemic. The game is to have them all running about with fire extinguishers whenever there is a flood and all crowding to this side of the boat, which is already nearly gunwale under. In other words, the conservative movement in the Republican Party is there to always focus your attention on what? The issues that don't matter and the way they don't matter at the time they don't matter. So it's one of two ways. Either it's the most radical proposal of the left that is not yet a looming threat at the expense of things that are that they don't focus on, or the other way around, it's already water under the bridge. You know, it's something that's already dead and you're trying to revive a dead horse. They're never there for you at the time. And this is what we're seeing with this whole thing about the Wuhan lab and the coronavirus subcommittee. It's an after-action report, not a triage operation of what is going on now. See, normally I wouldn't care if the FDA just loosely approves dangerous products that are just targeted therapies that you would need a doctor and an individual would, would sign off on that. But these are all things that the government is purchasing, marketing, indemnifying, and then it's made ubiquitous even before a mandate, and certainly with a mandate. How is that not the biggest pro-life issue of our time? I had a conversation with Thomas Massey about this, and he, he just tweeted about this. You know, we all care about abortion. You're never mandated to get an abortion. I mean, government does fund abortions, but it's nowhere near the scale of like, hey, Paxlovid, it, you know, whatever you want, $10 billion right here. See, a product like that could never fare well in, in the market, but they just approved it. The FDA just said, no, it doesn't cause a rebound effect. Literally, every single major public official, Biden, Jill Biden, um, Fauci, a few others, governors, they all got the rebound effect. And they're like, it doesn't cause it. And now the FDA voted to give it full approval. I want you to understand, this is a novel drug mixed with an AIDS drug that's very heavy duty. It has... 44 severe drug interactions. It has a black box warning. Well, the, the AIDS drug component it's mixed with has a, has a warning. Increased risk of rebound infection, toxic to liver and kidneys, and it's poorly tolerated due to metallic taste. Do you know that the only data we have on it is from the manufacturer themselves? There's one non-Pfizer randomized controlled trial out there. And you know what? It shows zero difference. Okay? Zero difference um, with anything. How is it that you could, the government can guarantee them not just like, you know, welfare-style income, 
This would be the equivalent of, let's say, on an individual welfare level. So, I mean, I think we all agree people don't get rich off of welfare. I mean, unless it's a scam. But, you know, it's enough to disincentivize them from trying to work and, you know, live the at least former American dream. But you don't get rich off of it. This would be the equivalent of like giving individuals food stamps and WIC and, you know, uh, whatever they used to call 10, now it's called TANF, the equivalent of like $10 million for an individual. So it's not just to keep you afloat. So they do that. They spent billions in marketing, meaning not just that Pfizer's able to market and violate the statutory prohibitions on it based off of taxpayer funding, but the government itself markets it, federal, state, local, county governments. They distribute it. And then they say, no matter what you do, it is all good. You could commit fraud. You could commit negligence. It is all good. And by the way, it costs $530 a pop. They just approved this. Metallic taste in your mouth. Do you think that comes from a good thing? Metal. Heavy metals. It's interesting. They seem to be very into that. Putting that into our bodies. We all know what that does to you. I mean, we haven't focused on this much because... Even with all the ubiquitous handing it out like candy, it's still not a prophylactic, like a vaccine where they just, you know, take every person. So you have to kind of like seek it out. So it's not quite as bad. But how is this not a pro-life issue? Again, no one forces you to get an abortion. But yet this has been the tour de force of Republican politics for 50 years. It's been the number one issue. This is what they're doing now. They now have trials where they commit fraud, and they're open about it. And again, I, I had a conversation with Thomas Massey. I was like, why in the world is there no bill yet on tightening up the EUA, tightening up other transactions authority, repealing the PREP Act, making it at least that if you're going to indemnify them or market or the, or the government's going to buy it, then you have to rely on third-party data that's not connected to the government or the manufacturer. You're going to take their word for it even after they defrauded you on, on their other therapeutics. But no, it's all good. Again, the broader biomedical terrorism, biomedical tyranny, and biomedical security and surveillance there is no greater life liberty issue than that. And there's no real movement with political clout yet to deal with it. I guess it just wasn't bad enough. It just wasn't bad enough. Now, folks, you might not have the ability to fight against uh, the biomedical security state, but the one thing we still do have is the Second Amendment. And now because of the court ruling... You could carry pretty much in all states. How many of you, be honest, how many of you are confident that you know how to properly sweep your garment, draw from the holster with the proper five-point draw, and get two ch shots to the chest on a potential lethal threat in front of you within, you know, one and a half seconds? All right? Be honest. Very few people do. Um... It's fine to have that right, but in all honesty, 
few people know how to properly handle handguns. A lot of people are hunters, are good with long arms, not really good with handguns. That's why we've been offering for so long with Patriot Academy, their constitutional defense course. We study the Constitution at night. We get together, great camaraderie, and we're out on the range all day learning how to clear malfunctions, learning how to properly draw from the holster, learning scenarios, and they have an amazing test that's really harder than law enforcement tests at the end of that five-day course. But if you if you learn properly, you'll be able to pass it. It is so much fun. Now they have their own campus And I'm going to be there on the 23rd, Sunday, the 23rd of April, just in a month from now, for their five-day course. Along with you, you get to meet yours truly. Other people from this audience, go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. 500 bucks. 500 bucks for a five-day course. I mean, you're going to be out on the range from from 7 to to, 8, 7 or 8 in the morning, depending on the day, to like 5, 6. And by the way, they don't. It's it's not a boot camp. It's family friendly. So if you have a knee, I just want you to know if you're retired. A lot of you guys that are able to come are retired. Obviously, if you have knee problems and you can't stand on the line with the sun beating down, you know, for all that time, you, you could take a seat, you know, and take that drill out. The point is, it's serious enough that if you want military style training, you'll get it. But you know, they're not going to pound you into the ground. They, they we joke around. It's light. It's fun. You know, so it's it's the right mixture. And again, you'll get to meet me and others in the audience, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Make sure you try to register within the next week or so. Spots are limited. So, folks, we have three pilots that have had heart attacks from, from, from pilots from major airlines like British Airways, Virgin Airlines, and one of them is dead in less than the course of two weeks. This is a triage problem. This is not just what happened in the past. They're continuing to do this. And by the way, likely these people didn't just get the shots. This is from the mRNA and some people circulating indefinitely, possibly plasmid DNA circulating indefinitely. And this is where we are. Then you have, this is from the National Palestinian Radio, NPR, March 16th, this is yesterday, In 2021, the U.S. had one of the worst rates of maternal mortality, meaning pregnant women dying or dying in in childbirth, in the country's history. History. They found 1,205 people died of maternal causes in 2021. A 40% increase. 40% from the previous year. The U.S. rate was 32.9 maternal deaths per 1,000 people. It's 10 times higher than some other Western countries. Now, this is a little bit more nuanced than, you know, when you have the the, um, miscarriages, which are more directly caused from the vaccines. This is the mother dying, but... This is NPR. Like, again, what we're saying here, the fact that we have a death epidemic that we've never had before, no one disputes that. They'll they'll dispute the cause of it, maybe, but no one disputes that. 
Doesn't anyone want to get to the bottom of that? Now, the article, of course, goes on to say that we don't really know, but then they go and quote doctors saying it must be COVID. But again, the problem is if it's COVID, how do you have a 40% increase from 2020? This is not from pre-COVID baseline. This is the main COVID pandemic year. And not just the main COVID pandemic year, but according to their narrative, that should be the worst year by far. Because that's the COVID year pre-vaccine. 2021 is the COVID year with the vaccine, and they scared all pregnant women into getting the vaccine. So if the vaccine is not a force for bed, but it's safe and also protecting from COVID, how do you have a 40% increase in maternal mortality relative to to the COVID year without the vaccine. Now, obviously, you and I can end it, it, the question answers itself, but according to their paradigm, it doesn't make any sense. It can't be COVID. And if it is COVID, that means that the vaccines juiced up the COVID. So it's one of the two. It's either vaccine-mediated, juiced-up COVID that wound up becoming lethal even to younger people, because by definition, you're not really going to be over 42 or so with um, being pregnant, or they died while being pregnant because, you know, the same way other people died suddenly. And maybe there was some sort of risk with being pregnant. You're more vulnerable to the spike. I don't know. But that's, um, that's just a measure of how this is the greatest pro-life issue of our time. You know, we talked yesterday about insurance data, and this was put out a little while ago. But I never talked about it. Josh Sterling, he's the um, UK insurance analyst. He found that the more doses on average you have in a region within the US, the bigger increase in mortality that region has in 2022 when compared to 2021. In other words, like basically everyone was brainwashed into getting the shots. But where you really saw the bifurcation was in 2022 because that was the boosters. So that is where you start to see a political divide between red states and blue states, like Vermont compared to Oklahoma. And that's what he saw. It showed a 7% increase in the risk of death for each shot taken, so that a person who took five shots would have a 35% risk of dying. And we're totally fine with this. There's no data point that will get Republicans to focus, because part of the problem is Republican... Republicans focus on what Republican media, a.k.a. Fox News, <coughs> tells them to focus on. Well, what does Fox News focus on? What the general media says to focus on. Sometimes they'll agree with the media, like with Ukraine. Sometimes they'll indulge it and kind of tweak it. Sometimes they'll fight it. But the issues they'll focus on is what the media tells them to focus on. Well, by definition, as you all know, the issues that matter most, and particularly in the way they matter at the time they matter, Guess what? The media usually is not just going to fight it, but they're going to do something else. They're going to have a blackout because even to indulge it, just to joust with it, will give it unneeded uh, coverage and elevate its prominence. They're very smart about that. So, you know, these guys in Washington, if you're like, Jim Jordan or Comer, oversight chairman, they're going to focus on what the political media is focused on. They're not going to focus on, on what's important. I mean, it's funny. If you go down to like the Capitol Hill press, 
press pool. Politico, Capitol Hill reporter. The Hill, Capitol Hill reporter. Bloomberg, you know, Capitol Hill reporter. Washington Post, Capitol Hill reporter. These are like 27-year-olds. That's what's controlling their focus. It's pathetic. Utterly pathetic. But before we get to Brooke, I, I just want to um, just clear the decks a couple of things. Number one, we, we started the week talking about the finance, the banking stuff. It turns out the federal balance sheet overnight grew by $300 billion. $300 billion. So even before you get to the bailout money, the $26 billion, and the, probably they're going to lower interest rates, $300 billion. So they printed $4.7 trillion for COVID. They off- offloaded about $600 billion of it in their tightening thing to stem inflation. And now they gave back $300 billion of that overnight. So that's going to grow. We're probably going to break a record. Inflation off to the races. Every Republican talking about inflation. How many Republicans oppose what they're doing? Thomas Massey, a couple others. That's it. That's it. One other thing I'm not going to have time to get into, but... I've heard from attorneys that are working January 6th. They are already arresting the next batch of people. I'm talking about people that literally did nothing. I heard of a person arrested. Um, again, you know, this is over two years later. Literally did nothing. Literally. One of the things, by the way, going on is they're hitting them up on the statute of if you signal to a police officer, you could be accused of distracting them during a public di- um, disturbance. So a lot of them, there was kind of they were they were mimicking the Brown situation, the BLM thing. Hands up, don't shoot. They were trying to kind of do that back then. So a lot of them were putting their hands up. They're now using that in prosecution that you are distracting the police. I'm not kidding you. So this is coming down the pipeline, and the reason why I mentioned this today to juxtapose to the clinical trials, the Joseph Mangala, the using Americans as lab rats, that you could have something out in the open that you know is a problem from government, but the policies don't change. So even Kevin McCarthy and the establishment Republicans are now starting to talk about January 6th being a problem, Tucker Carlson releasing the videos you know that the government set it up and a lot of people really did nothing wrong. It was orchestrated and they're being prosecuted for it. They're focusing on the issue, but the policies continue. Nobody is making the policy play call that I am, which is what? At a federal level, the um, January 6th prosecutions need to be defunded. You need a bill moving out all prosecutions to the jurisdiction of which these people live. Like if you're in Arkansas, you'd be tried in Arkansas, not in D.C. Can't get a fair trial. And the state governments need to get together and commit to form a pact that they're going to block the FBI from making these arrests in the states and and defend them with legal defense fund. Instead, we get nothing, just like with COVID. We don't even have a bill to, I mean, who could who could oppose a bill like this? A president cannot declare a public health emergency for more than 30 days without Congress. That should have been H.R. 1, the emergency use authorization. You can't mandate an EUA product. You can't, um, the government can't, you know, market it. Government can't rely on the market, the manufacturer's own data. The PrEP Act, nothing. The policies just continue. And that's where I want to get for the rest of the show or go towards the rest of the show. 
first uh, very appropriately um uh for for today for this interview is sponsored by Jace Medical. So part of anarcho tyranny is that they turn on and off the faucet as needed. So you think Daniel, I mean I mean look, you can get a hold of every product. It's all good. It's all good. You could fraudulent, you know, fr- you know, fabricate a clinical trial. It's all approved. It could be poison. It's all good. No. That's for their stuff. Let's say you want to get a hold of azithromycin, doxycycline, amoxicillin. Suddenly, suddenly we have a shortage. Um, Utah's chief ph- pharmacy officer, Aaron Fox, recently said, we're in a really frustrating situation right now where patients may be going to the pharmacy counter and not being able to fill their prescriptions, whether it's because of the stupid supply chain with China, whether it's because the FDA put everything into the vaccine, so they're a little bit late on all of their um, regulatory stuff. So, you know, all, all the, you know, they, they make runs on on lines and many and manufacturing so if they didn't do it they can't put out that line because believe it or not <laughs> while they're green lighting pfizer's products they're still still have the regulatory state so if you have a regulatory state but you don't you know you grind the wheels to a halt that they can't you know bring out their their new their uh latest runs of the products because you could approve a product but you have to have oversight of each um you know, spot checking and uh, oversight uh, of each uh, you know manufacturing process. So that's that's one issue I know is going on. But anyway, it's time you get life saving antibiotics for emergency use in case you can't get it. Jace Medical has their Jace case. You basically go to JaceMedical.com. You fill out a prescription, say a little bit about yourself, so they know you're not contraindicated. And you'll get a valid prescription. It will come within a few days. And boom, you got five life-saving courses of antibiotics to have for an emergency. Um, Put in promo code REVIEW at checkout. Again, when you go to jacemedical.com, you should be empowered to care for yourself and your loved ones. Don't rely on government. So as we commemorate and memorialize this terrible week three years ago, 15 days to flatten the curve. And again, we've been drawing parallels to 9-11. One of the things that we were told afterwards is that if you see something, you should say something. We knew we lived in a post-9-11 world. We had a problem. See something, say something. And I was thinking, that was the problem here. That in order for this to have been perpetrated upon humanity, there were too many people that had to just go along with it. Let's take the clinical trials. You don't even have to believe what we put out. Just the bare minimum that the government themselves admit to, the baseline clinical-level injury it causes, the baseline myocarditis cases. Okay, before you get fancy with some of these other ailments that they, they deny, the menstrual irregularities, okay, that's ubiquitous. No one denies that. They had to have seen that. They had to have known those who participated in the trial had to have known that. I don't mean the individuals, but I mean the coordinators, those working for Pfizer, working for their um, contractors like like Ventavia and those that gathered the, get the data, like companies like Icon. They had to have known this. So there's one individual who actually saw something and said something. 
And that's Brooke Jackson. It's been a while since we've had her on. She's one of our star players in the Nuremberg trial in our book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, where she was hired as a regional director for two of the Texas clinical trials for Pfizer's contractor called Ventavia Research Group. During the phase three trial, this was September 2020, that critical month, and she saw that literally from head to toe, it just wasn't done right. It wasn't recorded right. All the protocols were violated. It was all built on fraud. She informed them. She informed the FDA, and they just didn't care, and she was dismissed. She filed a False Claims Act lawsuit in the Eastern District of Texas and it's been going on for a while, and now it's reaching a critical stage where there was a hearing on motion to dismiss. Because this is the important thing. If the judge agrees not to dismiss it, it goes to trial. It's not so much about her and the false claims. She's not going to get much money for it. It's This is the only avenue to say that they defrauded the taxpayer with all the evidence she has you don't even have to get into the safety and efficacy, just the fraud of what they did with the clinical trials. That will give us that discovery that we so badly need to blow this wide open because this is not about just what did happen. They have this in the pipeline. Like I said, they're doing this today. They're doing it tomorrow. This is the new paradigm. This is the biggest pro-life issue. You are not pro-life if you're not focused on this. So this is not Brooks' lawsuit. This is all of our lawsuit. This is the lawsuit for the millions of people injured and even the people who weren't because they're going to keep this experimentation going. This is the new normal. What is it? What's the new normal? It's all good. Our federal government is saying we will fund it, we'll float it, we'll preemptively have a contract to purchase it, market, distribute, mandate it, indemnify of liability, and you could throw us any crap. It is all good. That's not even a lab. A lab rat is you experiment. Here, even after they know it's a problem, they're like, oh, great. So now we're going to try it on humans. This is awesome. So two weeks ago, they had this motion to dismiss. And there's some very revealing things. And I've been wanting to go into this in more depth for a while. So we have Brooke back with us. Hey, Brooke, it's been way too long. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be with you again. It has been way too long. It really has been. And, and and boy, you've become a star. People have been riveted by your testimony in our book. And it's just been truly a blessing to, to have become friends with you. Um, one of the few people speaking out. I, before we get started, I, I have to ask you this. It's now been another year. Has there been anyone else from from these clinical trials that were involved at a manage, management level coming forward? You know, I actually just got an email, Daniel, about, I would say, a month, month and a half ago from one of the doctors that was working on Pfizer's phase three COVID trial for their vaccine. Um, she was a, a what we call a sub-investigator, so she wasn't the main study doctor. She was there to, you know, um, back up or fill in in case the, the PI was unavailable. But she came forward um, and said that she'd actually left the field of medicine based upon what she saw and experienced during that clinical trial. I reached out to her and I have not heard back from her since. And that's, that's probably happened to me five or six times. I've had a whistleblower come forward. I had a group of um, nephrologists 
come forward and hepatologists come forward, ask me about the clinical trials and then say, this is too dangerous. I, I can't talk to you anymore. Wow. Wow. That, that is mm-hmm. very disturbing. And, and again, folks, I forgot to mention, if you don't know already, Brooke has been, um, <clears throat> you know, clinical trial co- coordinator for almost two decades. So this has been her bread and butter, you know, before she worked on this particular Pfizer trial. And, you know, to someone that does this, it's not like you could say, well, this was maybe a little rushed. No, no, no. It's like doing heart surgery from the back. It's just everything was upside down. You couldn't possibly think this. Okay. So, so Brooke, let's go through some of the top lines. You were in court March 1st. They had the hearing on the motion to dismiss. You had the lawyers from, from Pfizer and Ventavia there. Could you discuss a little bit about the most important revelations to you um, at that hearing? Oh, the most important revelations. um, I don't think that there was anything new that I learned, Danielle. It was it was great to finally to face them. Um, I was very nervous. I'm I'm shy anyway, Um, but I was very nervous walking in. You know, and and the number of attorneys compared to ours. You know, I think if I'm remembering correctly, they had seven or eight at their table, Uh, and and then there's my three. And myself and the CEO of Ventavia was there as well. I, you know, I, I don't, there's nothing new that I learned of the, um, of the hearing. Um, it is just more of the same Pfizer defending their conduct of this clinical trial. They um, are not letting go of the safe and effective narrative. Although, you know, we know the people know what's going on. Um, the harms are undeniable. Um, so really nothing more, more um, that I learned necessarily. Um, the judge, I, I felt, um, you know, he was just kind of, kind of who I would, who I would want like my grandfather to be. Right. Yeah. Um, he asked very deliberate questions, was very fair, um, started out the hearing basically telling us, you know, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks everybody for being here. Those that traveled, but I don't want to disappoint you. And so I'll just say right away, we're not going to be issuing, or I'm not going to be issuing a decision from the bench today. Mm. That was pretty disappointing. Um, because I I thought that. So what's the timeline? (laughs) You're just still waiting. Yep. We just, we just wait. Um, you know, again, I think he's, he's very careful. He's very deliberate. He wants to um, give, give the time that, that's needed to, to weigh the, the facts and the law, and that's what he's doing. And I just have to take his word for that, right? Like, I feel like, I feel like I'm a prisoner of hope in, in <laughs> all these three years, and I'm just hopeful that that's what he yes. does because there's been so much, you know, manipulation and coercion and I just, I just have yeah. to be hopeful that that stays out of our, our judiciary. Relatively speaking, you got a good judge with Judge Trunkale, an older judge. Um, you could have gotten mm-hmm. a lot worse. And that's why a lot of us are really hopeful. It's not guaranteed, but you're this close. You just got to survive that motion to dismiss. <laughs> and, and you're farther ahead than anyone has the ability at this point to really break this wide open. So what I, so, so, well, before we get to some of the things said, um, so there's Ventavia, there's Icon, those are the subcontractors, then there's Pfizer. What about 
the FDA slash DOJ. Were they there? Well, that's, they were not, actually. Um, you know, when, when I filed this lawsuit in January of 2021, I only did that after, you know, like you mentioned in your intro, I went to Pfizer, I went to my company, I went to the FDA, I got fired for it, fine. Um, and I watched and I waited for this emergency use authorization to come down. And in December 2020, when that was given, and the... New England Journal of Medicine published their article. We were able to to kind of deduce that the data that was included in their safety and efficacy analysis had to have included data from my clinical trial sites. And that's when I was like, okay, that that's not okay. I'm going to have to take this to the Department of Justice. They need to know that this fraudulent information, it's, 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 it's a false claim. So taxpayers are paying for this. This product is going to be used to and be distributed across the world. That means something yep. to me. Integrity does, especially. And it just, it, it angered me. So I, you know, did my research on uh, false claims that cases, realized I had one. And that's what I did. I worked on it for months, gathering this data and putting it together. Nice and neat in this little package to present to the, the attorneys, the U.S. attorneys. And for over a year, they made me believe that they were investigating my allegations. <laughs> and <laughs> I know, I know, I, I get that really, a lot. they were working with Pfizer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, it's the fox again, guarding you know, the hen house. And, and, and that's <laughs> the sense, if you read the 140-page transcript, I've read about a third of it. You know, the first mm-hmm. lawyer, I think he was the um, <clears throat> the Pfizer attorney, um, Wessel, and the central mm-hmm. argument, and, and this is the meat and potatoes that people need to realize the grave danger we're in, their argument was that even if what you're saying is true, it's not a problem because the FDA made it very clear they don't care. Up front, they wrote in the contract, it's all good. Just give us the product. We don't care how you do the trials. We don't care what happens. Just give it to us. And then retrospectively, even after you um, brought it to them, that they were fine with it. They don't care. It doesn't matter. We don't support this. So they were trying to say from a legal standpoint that there's precedent in the court that you can't bring a false claims act on a part, you know, on behalf of the government being defrauded if the government doesn't have a problem with it. And let, let, I don't want to. I'm not so worried about the nitty gritty of the legal argument whether you have a false claims act or not. That's for your attorneys. I'm worried about public policy. And my point was like, I'm reading the transcript, and I'm thinking. Holy smokes. If I'm a member of Congress watching this, so let's say Pfizer's right that the FDA told us, look, you know, it's all good. Fine. So you're off the hook. But how the hell do you not have structural reform and go after the FDA from a policy standpoint for what they did? And I just want to read the audience some quotes and get your comment on it from Wessel, this attorney. It's crystal clear that. Relator's allegation, that's a legal term for you, allegations just weren't material to the government's decision to pay for the vaccine, meaning it's all fine. You were saying that they didn't properly record, they didn't properly administer, even the needles. That would not have, if everything they're saying, and I want to make this clear, that everything you're saying 
even if it's 100% true, that it would never have altered the FDA's decision. And frankly, I think they're right. <laughs> but what, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. I think, you know, um, that, that may be true. And I don't think that that's because, you know, um, what I said wasn't true. I, I, I don't think that that's because the data that I presented and the evidence that I presented wouldn't have changed, um, you know, that efficacy percentage or that safety analysis. I think it's because of, again, that revolving door that everybody talks about between, you know, um, and, and the FDA. It is absolutely ridiculous. And like you said, that, you know, reform, policy reform. I've never been into politics, and that's why I love talking to you so much because you've, you've taught me so much. Um, but but we have to make some changes, and, and we have to make them now before yep. these mRNA products get get into, um, you know, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're putting it in our food now. Um, I was just looking at Moderna's uh, website earlier today, and they tell you themselves, mRNA science is just the beginning. Yep. That's what, so. So I want to freeze your your word right there. mRNA is just the beginning. So we know they have a torrent of this ranging from preclinical to phase one to even phase three done with their RSV shot. And I want to get to some of that in a minute, but. Juxtapose that to a statement from this attorney Wessel for Pfizer. The contract explicitly states that Pfizer's clinical trials are out of scope and they are not related to the contract. Meaning they're saying that you could bring up all the things that they defecated in the vials. I'm not saying you said that. I'm just exaggerating. They could have thrown up in the vials and whatever they do it doesn't matter. The FDA was clear that what you do in your clinical trials will have no bearings, not just, I want to make it clear, on us approving it, but us purchasing tens of billions of dollars of it, contracting with it. So the point is, I don't know enough about the law. I, I'm sorry, yeah. Daniel. I, I think that the, you know, we're asking the wrong question. It's not whether the FDA would have approved it, right? Because they didn't, they didn't buy it. We did. The Department of Defense did. So that question needs to be directed to them, the Department of Defense. They purchased it. Right? And by the way, that was said you know, by the lawyer. That was said by the lawyer. They purchased it. So if they, for over a year, thought that my case had merit. Well, it just—it doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> at all. No, I mean, but but that—that's what it is. I don't know the legal nitty gritty. If if that's technically true, that you would have this is a question whether you have standing based not to bring uh, a false claims act, but whether you do or don't, what it revealed is that they are signing contracts to purchase, so not just approve, but purchase. And with that goes along with the marketing and even mandates indemnification that on a basis of your clinical trials, it's all good. It is all good, and I don't care. What do you have to say about one of the things they brought up was that, you know what? 
her claims she was only part of 3% of the study subjects in the thing. So let's say they were crappy trials. Yeah, but it's just 3%. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> that we need discovery because since, you know, um, since I filed this lawsuit and we were able to get the clinical trial documents, thanks to Aaron Ferry's amazing work, and have started to analyze that clinical trial data in Pfizer's safety and efficacy analysis that, that led to the emergency use authorization, again, December of 2020, the very first one. They tell you that it's based on, you know, this gold standard rigorous clinical trial of 44,000 patients. But when, when you break that down and you look at the number of patients that were used to get that approval, it, it really boils down to 170, Daniel, 170 patients out of those 44,000. It took 44,000 people to get 170 confirmed cases of COVID. That's one way to look at it. Yep. And out of those 170 patients that were used to determine 95% efficacy, patients from my clinical trial sites were included in that. There were also 40 patients from Fernando Pollock's site in Argentina where we know there's fraud. At this point in the pleading stage, we shouldn't have to go into this much detail. Yeah. Everything that I say at this point should be considered true and factual. And by the way, Pfizer's never argued anything that I've presented <laughs> is not that way because, damn it, this is all of their, these are their documents. But, when I worked at Ventavia, yeah. these are their company documents, Pfizer's internal communications. I happen to take a couple pictures of some, you know, OSHA violations. And I filed an OSHA complaint too, by the way, um, just really to set the picture that if, if they don't even know how to dispose of a used needle properly, that puts myself and my staff at risk because we just amended the protocol um, to include patients with HIV and Hep C, your you know, patients are near these needles. I mean, that that was really just to kind of paint the picture, if you will. So th that's what um, I wanted to get at when I read that. I thought of the needles and, and what you were saying is that yeah. th th there's one thing if, if, if let's say there was some sort of hurricane in that in East Texas or something, some natural disaster at that moment that you could say is anomalous. But what you're alleging, which, again, in a motion to dismiss, you have to say that. You have to assume what, what the person is saying is true, but even if it's true, yeah. you know, you don't have a claim. But if what you're saying is true, the problem is that paints a picture of something endemic. There's it, what, what, what you basically paint a picture of is that it was rushed and there were no guardrails because it was viewed as such a great thing for humanity that it was all good. There's no reason why it would have only been done that way in your, your area. It was just a ridiculous kind of argument there um but well, as someone yeah. who has done this for two decades that that was really a concern for me and and why i felt like i needed to make such a you know i, I mean i'd never had to involve the fda before certainly been involved in audits and sponsored audits but never have i been involved in a clinical trial that was this rushed that it was just odd the relationship that Pfizer had with my clinical trial site. Um, ne never seen anything. The rush, the, the, 
direct push from Pfizer to enroll minority patients, those um, healthcare workers, uh, first responders, those that fit into that high-risk category. I mean, they knew all of the things that were wrong at Mentavia. I mean, enrolling patients without testing them for pregnancy, enrolling patients that were on excluded medications for, you know, like antibiotics that, that could have potentially interfered and, and caused, you know, problems. I mean, it was just the, the list goes on and on. And certainly as these documents come out, we find out more and more. But never, Daniel, have I ever seen a trial run this, this, this way. And it begs the question, if it was done like this at my little site in Texas, what was going on elsewhere? And that's what I wanted the FDA to know. And it cost me my job fine. Um, but putting this product out there that they knew in the clinical trials was dangerous. They knew about the myome pericarditis. They knew, Daniel, I, I have, I know they knew. And the anaphylaxis, that's another thing that they knew about. Um, the allergic reactions that were, that were happening. Um, it's just staggering. Yeah, there, I mean, there's no way you can go from zero to 100. You can miss some things in a trial, but you can't, you know, have theirs blow up immediately the way it did and then not to see it. So we now know that they saw it. Um, could you also speak to the fact that, forget about Pfizer, but doesn't the FDA have a process through the Bio Research Monitoring Compliance Program that they have to come out on site and um, – and do inspections, but you found stuff on that that they weren't doing that, right? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I made a complaint, um, and six hours later, got fired. Like I said, and they have never been to Ventavia Research Group. Some um, independent journalists have even submitted FOIAs um, about my written complaint. Um, and actually, when I was reading the transcript, Pfizer, Pfizer points out, and I, I need to go back and look at this, but they point out that I only made a phone call, that I just talked to somebody at FDA. That's not true. I made a formal written complaint. But when you, when you um, read the FOIA that was, that was requested, uh, BMO has no evidence of, of my written complaint. It, it yielded no results. So that's another reason that we need discovery because I know and I have I have the email. Um, yeah, so so it is it is definitely um, strange. What concerns you most that you see down the pipeline? <clears throat> you know, as you monitor the clinicaltrials.gov and what they're working on. What sort of other vaccines are they trying to concoct that, given what you saw in a trial site, really concern you? Anything mRNA technology concerns me, um, you know, FDA through, you know, different, different acts, um, the care, you know, uh, modernization act cares act. There's been some great articles written, um, by Bailey Wick news that really outline what's happened over the last, you know, two or three decades that have allowed these fast track designations and these breakthrough therapies, um, uh, these medical countermeasures. There's, there's, just excellent work written or written work about this. Um, but the mRNA technology on even just latent vaccines, like for Epstein-Barr, for cytomegalovirus, for HSV-1 and 2, a, a, 
that's that's a huge concern for me. RSV, we talked about this yesterday on our. On wait, our wait, 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 wait. Name the So they're working on Epstein Bar, which is mono, mm-hmm. um, which has exploded from the COVID shots. By the way, they have an E. coli vaccine. I think they're working on. Um, and it, who, so who, what, what? What is this like? GSK, all of them. I mean, which ones are doing um, this? I would say it's mainly Moderna. I mean, I haven't really, I mean, I could go look really quickly, you know, but when you look at clinicaltrials.gov and you just type in mRNA technology, I think there's like almost 2,500 clinical trials that are enrolling with um, or looking at mRNA. Wow. And and Moderna Mm -hmm. obviously is the one that's the big black hole. Um, So what are you expecting? Didn't, I, I think at this point, they asked for continuance to push push off the decision. Thirty days. Did I get that right? They did. Yeah, yeah. They really so don't want argued, that discovery. They really do not want that discovery, which we were going to get early on. Um, you know, it's been probably close to six, eight, ten months ago that the judge was actually going to allow discovery, and then I think I said something on Twitter, Barnes did something on a podcast, Pfizer took our tweets, entered them into um, the docket as exhibits, and the judge came back and denied discovery. Um, and that's kind of kind of been where we are now. They do not want discovery until a ruling on the motion to dismiss. Um, because the judge is giving the case, you know, um, that's weight and, and and reviewing everything. There's so much. There's so many. So much information in docket. You just said I'm not. I'm not ready to make my decision. And until I'm ready to make my decision, I'm going to postpone discovery. Man, this is the most impactful thing. I surely hope they don't have ways of getting to to him. But I mean, they seem to get to everyone. And and this is what this, their strategy is very revealing. I understand why they're doing this to you. I understand it. They cannot refute what you're saying because you have it all documented and they know it happened. So their only way is to say that you essentially, because the government agrees with this, you don't have standing. But the problem is, and this is where I think we all come in from a public policy standpoint, in order to make the argument against your claim that they're doing, they're, they essentially admitted that the government preemptively allowed all this and is fine with it that is the biggest thing public policy wise that begs a response from congress because let's say they're right let's say you're wrong and you know what daniel sorry sorry to interrupt you but you know the department of justice has the incredible power today to dismiss this case if they didn't feel like it had merit wait how could they dismiss it they have that authority. Huh. The Department of Justice can do it today. They could have done it January, January 8th of 2021. They refused to dismiss this case. What they did for that year while the case was sealed was just make, make it appear like they were investigating so they could get this shot into as many people as they could. And then when I refused to be quiet anymore and threatened to go on Tucker Carlson and finally thought, you know, recognized the, the media ecosystem and just how corrupt they are as well, 
um, I, that's why I took it to the BMJ and Peter Doshi, because he's been calling for transparency in clinical trials for so long. I was like, this is perfect. I, I need this prestigious medical journal to, to independently review it. They did. They peer-reviewed it. They published it. And the DOJ knew I wasn't going to be quiet anymore. I, I, I was emailing almost on a daily basis when the childhood vaccination um, was approved for adolescents 12 to 15, I was furious. And I said, okay, no more. That was what in like September of 21. And I said, that's the one thing that I'm not going to allow happen. And I'm not going to be quiet about when they come after our kids, I'm done. And that was, uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now, September of 2021. September 2021. And now we're on the fourth booster for, for infants. Can you imagine? Like to me, to me at this point, there's overwhelming evidence. Yep. that this is harming people and the risk that these children, there, there just is none, right? I mean, and, and even and if there would point, be, this thing doesn't work, it's negative effective and it has all this, all these problems. We got to run. We're running out of time here, but I, I want to make sure was, Brooke, I'm sorry. You know, if you could just sew up here and then tell everyone where they could follow you and find out more about your work. Well, I don't, I don't do social media a lot. Um, the only platform I use is, is Twitter, and my handle is I am Brooke Jackson. I have a, um, a website also where I, I have a lot of the court documents that you know, once, once we get them on the docket, we, we print them and, and put them out on my website, and that's the same, IamBrookeJackson.com. And once again, like last time we had you on, I'm going to put the call out. If any of you work, worked in one of the clinical trials or know someone who did, Now's the time to come forward. We, we're, we're almost there. It's teetering 50-50 on this judge. It's so important. Man, I admire everything you've gone through. Is really like no, no reward and only risk. But, you know, God will reward your endeavors either way, whether the judge rules in our favor or not. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pushing for the political reforms, and you're going to be a big part of that. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. Take care. So I went a little long there with Brooke. I didn't have time to get some more stuff stuff later, but you know what? This is where it's at. We are li- this is Joseph Mengele if he had control of the entire world. And they're open about it, but I I want to emphasize this point. They know they committed fraud. It's obvious. I mean, even if you only believed 5% of the magnitude and scope of vaccine injury and death that we're talking about, it's out of sync with what they said occurred in the trial. So obviously they saw it and obviously they were committing fraud and, you know, up the chain. They know that. So they have to argue that she doesn't have standing to bring a false claims act that they defrauded the government because the government doesn't have a problem with it. So you can't, that's the legal dispute, whether she could bring it if the government's saying, we're not backing you. We have, we're all good with this. But in order to do that, they, they all admit that the government signed a contract, and this was DOD, it's all good. It's all good. Remember, this is not it's all good just for the approval. This is for us to purchase, market, promote, mandate, indemnify based on this. There's no greater pro-life issue. And, And by the way, that's why I keep saying, I'll go for a compromise piece of legislation that doesn't even expose them to most of the you know, punitive damages, but at least compensatory. 
just enough to get your foot in the door to get discovery. It's not so much about the money. It's you need a mechanism to bring out the truth and open up the not just fraud, but genocide that they commit. But really, what's worse than Pfizer, it's really the FDA. At the end of the day, it's the government doing it. Um, you know, Pfizer could do what they want, but, you know, if the government wouldn't enable it, it wouldn't be a problem. And they could not withstand that. And that's why they have to fight this. Like, she's a nobody. She's a shy girl from Texas, doesn't have money. I mean, I don't mean nobody. I mean, she's a great person. But I mean, in, 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 in the respect of having the power and influence to do anything with this. But they can, man, they cannot allow this to go to trial. That motion to dismiss, and they're like, give us another 30 days. They don't want discovery. I just I just have a sinking – I just have a really bad feeling here that the judge before this seemed like a good guy, but I don't know. We just can't have nice things, and they just seem to get their way no matter what. But this is the point. Whether she has a claim or not, Everyone looking at this should agree. How in the world could you have a situation where they're like, whatever Pfizer does, we're going to approve, market, promote, even mandate, indemnify. How could that be okay? Where is the effort to legally reform this? We talk about things. We talk about news stories. We talk about memes and talking points. Where are the policy outcomes? That's what we're all about here. Got to sew it up. We're over time. Until next week, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.